Once more, welcome. Good morning, everybody. My name is Tim Harris, pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. All of you in cafe, it's Communion Sunday. Gather around the Lord's table and worship him together. I love you all so much. I love all of you so much. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Uh, here at Woodburn, I've just finished a sermon series on the family, and now we're going to turn the corner and start making our way uh, to Easter, but to do that, you have to walk the road to Calvary with Jesus. You have to make the trip to the cross before you can truly appreciate what it means to go to the empty tomb. So, Luke chapter 22 is where I want us to be this morning as we uh, as we look to the Word of God. Well, what is it with the neighbors? I don't mean really your neighbors. I hope not your neighbors, but. Um, you know, every time there's a serial killer or a terrorist that, that is arrested and taken into custody, the news always goes out and interviews the neighbors. Have you noticed that? And the neighbors are clueless. I mean, like spooky, scary kind of clueless. They will always take this guy who's just, you know, blown up a school or this serial killer axe murderer and interview the neighbors. And what do the neighbors always say? He was such a nice guy. He was completely normal. He was just like the rest of us. Okay, that scares me. You know, I mean, you should move. When Jeffrey Dahmer, I mean, like a serial killer cannibal. Y'all remember Jeffrey Dahmer? I mean, you have to be, I mean listen to Papa. I mean, Jeffrey Dahmer was way back in the day. Uh, I remember when Jeffrey Dahmer was arrested and, and finally caught. I mean, one of the worst serial killers ever and, and, and a cannibal. They interviewed the neighbors. The neighbors said there just wasn't anything out of the ordinary. And then they went on and they said, but you know, we could hear the sound of sawing day and night. Really? And he had cameras hanging from the ceiling that recorded our every move. And sometimes at night we heard screaming. And there was the constant stench of rotting meat. But other than that, nothing out of the ordinary whatsoever. Not, yeah, I did not make that up. I did not make that up. That is what they said. Other than that, he was just your average joke. The stench of rotting meat, the sound of screaming and sawing. I mean, what neighborhood do you live in if that's normal? What is it with the neighbors? What it is with the neighbors is just a simple fundamental truth about all of us. And it is simply, we are not very good at recognizing evil. We are not good at recognizing evil, and especially the everyday kind of evil. Now, you think that evil always, you know, is, is fanged somehow, and maybe wears a red cape, you know, with blood dripping. But no, evil never really comes at you like that. Everyday evil is, is much, much more difficult to recognize. And, and the, I guess the neighbors of serial killers remind us that it's really hard to recognize evil in other people, but... You all know, don't you, it is perhaps most difficult of all to recognize the evil in me, the evil in ourselves, which brings us to, to Judas. Luke chapter 22, the scene is the, the Last Supper, the, the Lord's table, and, and this is what the Word of God says. I want to start... I'm going to start in verse 1 of chapter 22. I'm going to jump down to verse 14. Just follow me and, and let's get this story together and then we'll talk. Luke chapter 22, verse 1. The festival of unleavened bread, which is also called Passover, was approaching. The leading priests and teachers of religious law were plotting how to kill Jesus, but they were afraid of the people's reaction. Then... 
Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12 disciples, and he went to the leading priests and captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted, and they promised to give him money, so he agreed and began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus so they could arrest him when the crowds weren't around. Breathtaking. Verse 14. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. But here at this table, sitting among us as a friend is the man who will betray me. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die, but what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? The disciples began to ask each other which of them would ever do such a thing. Now, that's the interesting part, really. When Jesus says, you know, when he makes it plain that there's someone at this table, I mean, there are really only 13 guys, if you count Jesus, only 13 guys at the table. And these guys know each other really well, really well. They, they have walked together. They have lived together. They've slept together. They've eaten together. They have made every move together for three years. I mean, these guys know each other intimately. But when Jesus says, one of you is a devil, one of you is going to betray me, they all just sit around the table and, and say, who would do that? N nobody. Now, I would think if I were there, I'd go, that Judas. I mean, I would think that I would spot him because I've seen, you know, Jesus Christ superstar and, and I've seen all the movies and I know what Judas looks like. He, he doesn't smile. He, his hair is blacker. His eyes are blacker. You, you know, something about Judas in all the paintings, he's not wearing a halo. You just look for the guy who doesn't have the halo. You, you understand? I think I would say Judas. I, I would point him out, Jesus, Judas, Judas. But nobody does that. Remember that in the company of the disciples, it was Judas who was given the job by unanimous decision to be the treasurer. You don't give the least honest guy in the room the job of holding everybody's money. Judas was trusted. Now, remember that as the story goes, when Jesus called his disciples, he typically approached him and asked him to leave everything and follow him, leave everything and follow. And Judas is one of those who left everything and follow. Judas is one of those that when Jesus fed the 5,000 and gave the disciples the privilege of serving that meal, they took baskets and, and went from person to person and served the, served the bread and the fish. Jude, Judas is one of those serving you all. He had a front row seat to that miracle. Don't, don't ever forget that. He witnessed it all. He saw Jesus walking on the water. He saw Jesus heal the blind and the, and the lame. He saw Jesus raise the dead. Judas was there the whole time. 
but, but something turned in him. So the question comes up, well, what happened to him? Now, according to the scripture, in every single instance, it, it, it's Satan. I mean, the scripture literally says that there came a point where Satan entered him, which is to say that, that by the end of it, there was not one thing about Judas that didn't belong to Satan. Now, how does a person reach that place? How would you possibly describe a person like Judas sitting at the very table of the Lord and filled with Satan? What? Well, he's evil. I mean, just he's evil. I don't think there's another way to say it. But there's some of you say, Pastor Tim, I don't know if we can call people evil. I mean, my ex-husband's evil. That's what you're thinking. My ex-husband's evil. My ex-wife's evil. You know, my sister's evil. You know, I mean, some of you are thinking like that. But, but at the same time, we don't really think that we can call people evil. I mean, who gets to say that? Well, well, let's start here. Jesus gets to say it. Matthew 7, verse 11, this is Jesus talking. So these ought to be red letters. And Jesus says, what? If you, and he's talking to all of us. Jesus says, if you who are what? Evil. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? So Jesus on the one hand can say, y'all, you are evil. I mean, Jesus can, can do that, but, but no, what does it mean to say everybody in the whole world is, is, is evil? I guess when it's Jesus talking, if we're all being compared to the glorious standard of Christ and we all fall short, that's what the scriptures say. So there's a very true sense and you can say we're all evil, especially when Jesus is talking, when Jesus is the subject, the rest of us, we're all evil. But there must be some, some, some relation of degrees. There must be some, some sort of continuation. There must be some line that is crossed where you could literally say, as we say in Judas's case, that this is an evil man. This is a man that is now controlled completely by the devil. This is a man who has sold his soul sort of thing. And what do those degrees look like? What does it look like when one of us begins to turn toward evil? How does that look? Now, again, let's, let's, let's go to Jesus and let's learn from, from Jesus. This is a verse from John chapter 8, verse 44. The, 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 the text is, is cut off. John chapter 8, 44. Jesus is in a controversy with the Pharisees. And they're all saying, listen, we are children of Abraham. And, and we belong to our father Abraham. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You are children of your father who the devil you are children of your father the devil it's a famous argument in the gospel of john that they call it the the, the paternity discussion because the whole idea is whose children are the pharisees are they from their children children of father abraham or are they children of their father the devil and this is jesus's verdict now it's important because in this particular verse john 8 44 jesus will give three characteristics of evil so if you want to know what evil looks like if you want to know how evil talks if you you want to know how evil behaves, let's learn from Jesus and let's try to sharpen our ability to recognize evil. All right. So this is Jesus. You are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth for he is a liar and the father of lies. I, I see three things there in that verse, three things that give us sort of the characteristics of, of evil. Now, I, I want you to think about these characteristics because like I said, we're not very good at recognizing evil. 
We think we are, but we're not. And the primary reason I say that is because most of us don't recognize the evil in ourselves. Most of us don't see it in ourselves. And if you can't see it in the man in the mirror, then I really, really doubt you're going to see it in anybody else, although sometimes you think you can. So, so let's sharpen our skills here so that we can learn to discern our own hearts. You're the children of your father, the devil, Jesus says, and you love to do the evil things he does. Let's stop right there. I think that's the first one. You love to do the evil things he does. Who loves evil? Who loves to do evil? What has to happen to a person so that you could say that person loves evil? Well, I would say it's a hardness of heart. Something has to happen to make a person's heart so hard that they actually begin to love what is evil. So the question I would want you to ask yourself today, is your heart growing harder? Is your heart getting harder? If we use Judas as our example, Judas was in the most amazing program of discipleship ever. He literally followed in the footsteps and in the dust of Jesus' own feet. He literally learned the word of God from the living word of God. He spent three years with Jesus. He saw everything that Jesus did. He heard every word that Jesus spoke. And, and, and here's the thing, in, in that same program, in, in that same amazing opportunity to serve and walk with Jesus were 11 other men. And every one of those men in the process of following Jesus, they were transformed. They were transformed into true believers, into true disciples. Those 11 men went on to turn the world upside down for Jesus. But, but the same experience, the, the same following after Jesus, the, the same sermons, the same miracles, the same love, all of that did not have the same effect on Judas. His heart just got harder. Now, I don't even really know on the one hand how to explain that. He gives something of his life to Jesus. I mean, three years, he leaves it all. He gives it all up just like everybody else. But, but in the process of giving something of his life, he apparently gives nothing of his heart. Apparently gives nothing of his heart. So that at the end of this, his heart belongs to the devil, even though he's sitting right there at the Lord's table with everybody else, including the Lord. So apparently it is somewhat possible to give something of your life to Jesus, at least your Sunday mornings. I mean, it's possible to go through all of the religious motions and all of the religious training to acquire all of this religious knowledge and your heart remain far, far, far away from the Lord. Is your heart just getting harder? I mean, some of you have been at this thing for a long time, more than three years now. You're church people. You call yourself disciples. You carry a Bible. You pray. Is your heart getting softer toward Jesus or, or just harder? But because a hardening heart is a dreadful and devastating thing. Your, your heart, is, is it getting harder? Jesus Talking to the Pharisees, again, back in John 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 44, he says of the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil, you, 
You don't like the truth because there's no truth in you. You belong to your father who is a liar and the father of lies. Evil always has to do with deception. It always has to do with lies. And, and if you in your heart right now are, are literally turning toward evil, then I, I promise you at some level you're believing a lie. You have forsaken the truth and, and you're now following a, a lie. Let me ask you just simply, does the life that you're living require you to lie? Does the life that you're living actually re require that, that you misrepresent the truth of who you are? Because that's evil. Evil always has to do with, with a lie. It's devastating when you think about it that, that a person can be both very, very religious and very, very evil. But, but this is what Judas teaches us. That you can have a tremendous amount of, of religious knowledge and you can actually have religious affiliations. Judas was one of the twelve. You can have an amazing religious appearance. People can think of you as a religious person and, and know that you're a church person and even associate you with Jesus. I mean, it is entirely possible and, and, and often very, very common that, 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 that very, very religious people can also be very, very evil. Remember, we have Satan sitting at the Lord's table that night. But nobody would guess him. Nobody would know it was him. As, as I say, when Jesus says, one of you is a devil, one of you is going to betray me, all of the disciples look around. And amazingly, they even look at Jesus and they ask, is, is it me? Isn't that something? They literally would, I mean, they would suspect that maybe they would do it with no intention of doing it and not even understanding how or why they would. They literally say, is, is it me? This is how complete Judas's deception was, the lie that he lived with his life. I, I mean, nobody knew. Absolutely nobody knew. I, I mean, Peter, James, and John, I mean, they were more likely to look at Jesus and say, is it me? Before they would say, would it be Judas? I mean, he lived a lie perfectly well. But honestly, the ability to live a lie is not something you want to be exceptionally good at. The, the ability to fool people, to make, to make your parents think that you're honest, to make your parents think that you are where you said that you would be. It, it's not necessarily a, a really positive life skill that you're such a good liar. It's really not an especially good life skill that you're able to maintain this affair at work and your spouse never know. I mean, you may think that somehow you're especially smooth because you're able to lie like this, but, but this is a very dangerous sign for your soul. That, that ability to lie, that willingness to lie, that, that desire to appear really, really good without having any intention of ever actually being good, that's a dangerous sign for you. You should take that very, very seriously. That, that this is not good for you. The life you're living, does it require you to lie? Because Jesus looked straight at the Pharisees in the eye that day, and he said, you are of your father, the devil. You don't live the truth. You don't seek the truth. You don't even appreciate the truth because the truth is not in you. You are a liar, and you are of your father, the devil, the father of lies. So how many secrets do you have to keep? In order to be you, 
How many lies do you have to tell? How many people do you have to deceive? I'm telling you, you may do this lie really, really well, and you may feel like you've got everyone fooled, but that's not good. Great sorrow is down the road for you. The other thing Jesus says, John 8, 44, he says that the devil is a liar, the father of lies, and he said he's a murderer from the beginning. He says, murderer. And I, I'm not really accusing you of, of, of murder, but, but the very heart of evil is, is, is simply this. Do, do you seek the harm of others? Now, to seek the harm of others doesn't necessarily mean you're hiding behind the closet door with an ax. You know, I, I'm not saying that. But, but there are lots of us who simply do not have a heart that seeks the good of others. I think it's interesting that the word evil is actually the word live spelled backwards. Evil is live spelled backwards. So it, it is true that, that the devil is actually sort of the antichrist, the, the opposite of, of Christ. And while Christ says that he has come to give us life, it is the devil who never, ever seeks to see people flourish and live. He wants to kill. He wants to steal. He wants to destroy. So, so the devil's always somehow on the side of death and, and, and sort of the fact that he can't really kill any of us. He doesn't have that kind of power. He just tries to diminish our lives. And honestly, the closer and closer you get to evil, the more likely it is that you just have that heart that no longer enjoys seeing other people happy. Now, you probably enjoy seeing your family happy. I mean, you know, possums out in, you know, in redneck woods, you know, they, they, they like to see their family happy. It doesn't take any great heart of goodness to love your friends and love your family. I'm, I'm talking about your enemies. I mean, Jesus makes your enemy the test. You're supposed to love your enemies. So it's just that part of your heart that, that roots against other people, that part of your heart that takes no pleasure when other people find pleasure. It's that part of your heart that just sort of subtly seeks the harm of others. You secretly like to see them fail. You secretly like to see them suffer. There are people in the world that you really would like to see get a really bad case of stomach virus. The verse I've referred to is John 10, 10. This is Jesus again speaking. He says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. That, that's the devil. Wherever you see in the world stealing and killing and destruction, that's the devil's work. But Jesus says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So the line's drawn right there, right down the middle. There, there is the devil, there's evil, and, and evil always has to do with stealing and killing and destroying. And it can be really subtle, and it can be very religious. But Jesus says that the line is clear, that evil has its purpose, and Jesus has his purpose, and it has to do with life, a rich and satisfying life. So I guess once you see that line drawn like that, then the question comes down to you and, and to me, which, which side are you more likely to be found on in any given day? In the place where you work, in the family that you have, are, are you the one that's more, most likely to be on the side of, of everybody having a rich and satisfying life? Or are you the one that comes in with joy and, and, and love and gentleness and all of the fruit of the Spirit? Are you the one who comes in more likely deceptively, smoothly working to undermine other people, to, to steal from them, to take something away from them, to destroy them if you can. See, that's evil. 
We're not so good at drawing that line, but Jesus draws it well. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come that they might have life and have it to the full. So which side? Who, who do you look most like? Your heavenly father, your father, the devil. So that night at the supper, Jesus knew. I called 12, but one of you is a devil. He knew. He said, it's actually God's will that I suffer and die, but whoa, whoa, great sorrow is in store for the one who betrays me. Someone will betray me. And the disciples say, who? Who, who would do that? Is it, is it, is it I? That night, Jesus knelt down and he washed Judas's feet like the others. And that night at the beginning of the meal, Jesus dipped the bread, the sop, and the herbs, and he extended that to Judas. It made him the guest of honor at the supper. That, that night, Jesus, with every opportunity, continued to extend a hand of love and friendship to Judas. He gave him every opportunity to come back, to turn around, not to do this thing, you know the most tragic thing about Judas? He would rather die than repent. He, he could have turned around. He, he could have repented, but he would rather die. Y'all know the story, right? At the end of this night, after he's done what he does, he goes out and hangs himself. Remember, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy in the end, Judas is destroyed by the evil that he led inside his own heart. Rather die than repent. That's the scary thing about evil in any one of our hearts. It hardens us. We don't necessarily anticipate how far down this road that we will go and exactly what waits for us at the end of this road. But I promise you, you Take a walk with the devil, and if you go the full distance with him, that road always, always ends in death. But you have an opportunity to come back. You have an opportunity to turn around. You have an opportunity right now to repent, to turn back to Jesus, who wants to give you life. We're not really good at recognizing evil because evil is a master of disguise. Evil always somehow wraps itself in a lie. And it's often a lie that we want to believe. It often shows us exactly what we want to see. It says exactly what we want to hear, but it's still a lie and it's still evil. Do not follow the path of evil. Come back to Jesus. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, we think we recognize evil. We, there are lots of people that we see on television or people that we hear about in the news. Lord, terrorists and killers, Lord, we know that they are evil, but we forget how everyday evil actually appears. We, we forget how everyday evil looks and how often, Lord, we don't recognize it, especially when it's staring back at us in the mirror.
Lord, we begin to believe our own lies. We begin to think that because we are religious, that somehow that makes us good, makes us righteous. We believe that because we call ourselves Christians, that somehow makes us Christian. We believe that because we appear so good, that actually makes us good. But Lord Jesus, help us to see how very far, far short we all fall. But to learn to recognize the evil in ourselves, Lord, so that we can give our hearts to you and have you purify us, Lord. We want to be righteous. We want to follow you truly. We want to seek the truth and not live a lie. God, there are people in the sound of my voice who are approaching that time that we would call too late. They're approaching that line, Lord, that they would cross past which there will be very, very little chance of turning back. Lord, I pray that that young person who's just about to go too far, I pray, Lord, for that man who's just about to lose it all. I pray for that woman, Lord, who's just about at the edge of destroying everything. Lord Jesus, I pray that they would turn around and come back to you before it is too late, before our hearts grow too hard, before, Lord, we become so deep in darkness that we no longer look for light. Lord Jesus, you are the one who has come to give us a rich and satisfying life. It is the devil who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. So, Lord Jesus, may we run to you, run to you, and live our lives for you that we may find life in this life. And in all eternity, Lord, may we live with you and for you, and may you live in us. If there are any in this room today, Lord, living a lie, believing a lie, then let this be the day when truth wins out. Because of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing. The altar 